0: I certainly have enjoyed the service thus far this morning, and we've had so many good meetings in recent days with so much good teaching, and our hearts are really full. A lot of times when we come to this place, we're, we're empty and, and need refilling, uh, but when you've uh, been exposed to so much uh, good preaching and good fellowship and good singing and uh, good events, uh, Spiritually, uh, in the house of the Lord, it it just uh, makes you overflow. But I would like us to open our Bibles uh, to begin with to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter forty-two, Isaiah chapter forty-two. We want to title our study this morning, "Behold, My Servant." Behold. My servant. I want to look for a few minutes at Isaiah's prophecy that occurred seven centuries before the coming of Christ, who is the ultimate servant of the Lord. And I want to see the fulfillment of this particular promise not only in the context of Matthew chapter 12, but also in the context of our lives here today. In Isaiah chapter 42 we read, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street, a bruised reed. Shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench? He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles or the Gentiles shall wait for his law. Now, this is the first of four servant songs that are considered Messianic prophecies this one and saw in Isaiah 49 verses 1 through 13 Isaiah 50 verses 4 through 11 and then of course Isaiah 52 through chapter 53 all of which are describing the aspect of the humanity of Christ now the reason we're starting here is because in the mind of the religious Jew there was a tension that existed between the identity of the Messiah. The identity of the King. The King that should come to His holy hill. The One to whom David, being the Son of God, would say to His Son uh, that He is Lord. How can you reconcile... The fact that the Messiah would be a ruling monarch and yet that he would come as the lowest of the slaves, a servant. Behold my servant. And there's several characteristics here that seem to conflict with the idea of Messiah being a reigning monarch or king, having a kingdom. We notice here... He's uh, according to a divine choice. He's elect. He's chosen of the Father. He's one that brings divine pleasure. My soul delights in Him. He's one who received a divine anointing. My spirit will be upon Him. He's one that will manifest a quiet, meek uh, characteristic that Jesus Christ perfected. He's one that would bring comfort and encouragement not to the strong and mighty, but to the weak and feeble. Here's a, a conflict in the mind of the religious Jew. How could the Messiah occupy two positions at the same time? How could He be uh, the everlasting King and yet submit Himself To death upon a cross. A great, great conflict. Even in the minds of the Apostles as we have noted in our previous studies. Now let us go to Matthew chapter 12. And and notice that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Matthew is going to give this particular prophecy that we've read in Isaiah. And bring it to bear in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Remember, Matthew is writing a narrative of the ministry of Christ as He, uh, from His birth even to His death, burial and resurrection, He is setting forth Jesus Christ as the rightful King of Israel, as the prophesied monarch that would rule over all nations, whose kingdom would never end. Matthew especially is, is propagating that gospel. But in the midst of that gospel, we read these words. In Matthew chapter 12, um, let's let's back up to verse 14. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, we'll read all the way through verse 21. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against Him, against Christ, how they might destroy Him. This uh, evil spirit that was in the life of the Pharisees. These are the religious elite of the day. And even though Christ is doing all of these mighty miracles, even though uh, they can see that, that He's a, a unique individual, they seek to destroy Him. It's the same evil spirit that guided Pharaoh in Exodus and, and also later Jezebel in First Kings 19, um, where they are standing in opposition against the god of heaven why because they love darkness john 3:19 they love darkness they don't want to come to the light because the light reproves their evil deeds they love their traditions more than they love god they sought to destroy what they could not subvert or control they rejected their own messiah he came into his own his own received him not amazing they were in love with legalism which is just the outward uh, expression of a religious faith they had this outward (coughs) expression of religious faith and yet they did not experience an internal transformation of the heart And before we get too far away from our study of this text, let us be mindful that we also can be guilty of the same thing. We can present ourselves in church or we can be uh, filled with churchiosity without uh, having the transforming power of the Spirit in our daily lives. We can follow their example instead of the example of Christ. And that's a great, great danger. Great danger. I recently, my wife and I recently watched a a documentary on Fanny Crosby. And listen to what she said in one of her hymns. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. She was writing that about Jesus. Jesus is so different than the Pharisees. He's so different than human religion. He's so different in so many ways. And yet these people could not see Him nor can anyone else apart from the grace of God. Amen? Amen. In verse 15 we read, And when Jesus knew it, He withdrew Himself from thence. Now I want to stop and just consider what's happening here. He withdrew Himself from them. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, when people become so engrossed in their own traditions, and their own external religiosity that they care not for the truth of the gospel or the truth of the word of God, Jesus is going to withdraw from them. Now, He's not going to withdraw His favor. He's not going to withdraw His grace. He's not going to withdraw His mercy. But He's going to withdraw His power from them. That's what's happening. In this context. He says he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him. And listen to this. He healed some of them because some were so difficult he couldn't get around to. He healed most of them but some of them wouldn't cooperate. No, the Bible just says Matthew writes this. He says he healed them all. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, that's a measure of the true gospel. There's no case that is too difficult or hard for the Lord to heal. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? He healed them all. It didn't matter what kind of need they had. It didn't matter how long that need existed in their life. It didn't, it didn't matter what kind of qualifications they may or may not have had. When they came to Jesus, they were healed every one. And He charged them. He didn't charge them money. He didn't say, send me a hundred dollars and I'll make sure you're okay. Or your healing will be permanent. If you'll just uh, deed me the farm. Whatever that might be. He did charge them, but He charged them this way. He charged them that they should not make Him known. That that, that it wasn't time for them to make Him known. Because of this great and growing opposition of the Jews. In verse 17, that it might be fulfilled. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Now stop right there. Remember, Jesus fulfilled over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament. 300. Actually, Lockyer, Herbert Lockyer said there's 317. I couldn't find the 17, but I found the 300. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, Jesus answered every prophetic view of what the Messiah would be. But the one view of the Messiah that was the most conflictive The most confusing to the religious elite. The most confusing to the world today is the Messiah coming as a servant. Totally unexpected. And yet Isaiah prophesied of this very thing in verse 18. Here's what Isaiah said. We read it a moment ago. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, hallelujah, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust Now, brothers and sisters, that should have a a very profound effect upon you this morning because you are Gentiles. You're not national Jews. You're not natural Jews. You you, you don't have a Jewish heritage to call upon. You, You are Gentiles. You are someone that was outside the theocratic identity of Israel of old. But God had a purpose. In sending His Son into the earth to open the door of salvation to Gentiles. I'm telling you that's a great, great blessing this morning. And it's in fulfillment to what God designed in giving the Old Testament prophecies. That's why Fanny Crosby could write those moving words in her life as a blind person. Someone came to Fanny one time and says, Oh, Miss Fanny, what would you have accomplished had you had uh, the, uh, the ability to see with your eyes? And she says, No. <laughs> the thing about being blind is that when I awake in glory, the first thing I'm going to see is the face of my Redeemer. And I've lived 99 years in that hope. That one day I'll meet him and I'll see him. But for now I know that the cords that were broken will vibrate once more. Hallelujah. I want you to understand something about this servant. Because here he says, Behold. That means not just to give a casual glance at. When you behold, you're beholding or you're seeing With purpose. You're seeing with intensity. You're paying attention. I I know that several of you have been hunting before and you you may have been in a a deer stand or or hidden away in a, a secluded spot waiting for that trophy buck to make his way into your path. And you're there and you're alert. You're not sleeping. You're not listening to the radio. You're not texting on your phone. You're not doing all of those that You are paying attention. Because you want to behold that deer when he makes his way in front of your scoped rifle. And you see a movement in a bush on the left side of this field you think you ignore it? No, you're not going to ignore that. Your ears and eyes are right on that spot. Is that him? Is that the one that's going to come out of the bush? And of course, in my case, it was nothing but a skunk. But anyway, and then you better pay attention. But the word behold means, has that concept. It's it's being alert to, an intense in your attention toward someone or something. Behold the servant. And the word servant that is translated here is a little different than the usage that we find in the rest of uh, the scripture of the New Testament. The word we're accustomed to hearing is duolos, which means bond slave. Bond slave. But the word here is pais. And it means as a representative or um, an ambassador. One that represents another. And I think that's very interesting. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Because remember, Jesus is the one that said, If you have seen me, you have seen my Father. Remember they came to Jesus and said, show us the Father and that will suffice us. We'll we'll be all right as long as you show us the Father. Well Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is identified with the Father. He came into the world as one who delighted to do the will of the Father. In John chapter 4 verse 34 he says, my meat. Is to do the will of my Father which has sent me. My my wheat, my meat, my, my very reason for living is to accomplish and to finish and to complete the very work that the Father sent me to do. He delights in the Son. Because who is the Son? In Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus says, The Son of Man came not into the world to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. To minister, to serve as a representative of the Father. Remember in John chapter 8, He says, I can do nothing without the Father. The, The works that you see Me do are the Father working through Me. The Father works and I work hitherto. I do the will and the bidding of the Father. I am His servant. Behold, my servant. I want you to, if you have your study Bible, uh, this is what I did in mine. I, I, I circled the four my's in this verse. My. My servant. My beloved. My soul. My spirit. This is a very unique individual that we're talking about. This is the servant of servants. That in the one in whom the Father is going to have full joy, full delight. He's going to be delighted with the voluntary submission of Christ to His Father. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22 verse 27, when He said, Not my will but thy will be done. That was, a, that was a conscious submission to the will of the Father. Don't, don't, don't let that escape. Now somebody says, well, that's the... I've read this in a liberal commentary. It said one time, uh, that's an obvious contradiction between the will of the Son and the will of the Father. But brothers and sisters, that's not accurate. There was never a contradiction between the humanity and the deity of Christ but what Jesus was doing was showing the spirit of this servant that is totally submissive and yielded under the will the perfect will of the father no matter what it cost that's why we read the language of the apostle paul in philippians chapter 2 verse 7 when he says Jesus became uh, uh, obedient unto death even the death of the cross in other words, Jesus was saying, not my will, but thy will be done, no matter what the cost. No no matter what I have to endure. No no matter what degree of intensity your wrath will be poured upon me, whatever it takes, I'm ready and willing to do it. Behold my servant. Behold my servant in whom I delight. Behold my servant whom I have Chosen people stand against the uh, electing grace of God. They they have no clue of what they're standing against. Uh, I I had a conversation in recent days with an individual that says, Oh, if election was true, then look how many people would be uh, cheated out of their opportunity to go to heaven. See, that's exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches The Bible teaches that it's because of election that anyone will be in heaven. Not that others would be left out, but that anyone would be in heaven at all. Jesus Christ is the pattern of that. He's the perfect picture of that. Behold my servant, my elect, my chosen one. God in heaven has the right, the prerogative, and the, uh, uh, the ability to choose whoever he wants to. Why would we uh, feel uh, anxious about uh, portraying God in the same way we portray a man's right to choose his bride? We don't think, or, or at least some of us don't think, that it's evil toward other women for a man to choose one woman to marry. We 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 don't think that's an evil thing, do we? No. We don't think that's an unfair thing. I mean, you might uh, maybe John Travolta would, I don't know. Uh he, you know, he might think it's totally unfair to all the women of the earth for him to choose one wife, but I don't. That's the biblical pattern. A man has a right to elect his bride. Why would we think that that's right for a man and yet think it to be unfair with God. You see the truth is. God did choose his bride. Even before time began. Yeah. And he wrote their names in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus came into the world. To die for their sins. Hallelujah. That's a marvelous teaching. See without election. No one. Would be capable of. Of being in heaven, but here, Jesus is the pattern. Jesus is the picture, a uh, 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 proof of that. He says, uh, "Behold, my servant, uh, whom I have chosen. This one that is my representative. This one that is my ambassador. This one uh, that uh, is chosen as an irre- irrevocable heir. This one have I chosen. My." Beloved, my beloved, Jesus Christ existed with the Father even before the world began. Jesus Christ, I believe in the eternal Sonship of Jesus Christ. I'll just put it out there plain. I know there's a lot of confusion and and disagreement, but I'm telling you, I believe that Jesus Christ is eternal with the Father and was instrumental. He was the means by which the Father spoke the world into existence and and God the Father and God, uh, God the Father was not lonely God the Father didn't have to create men because he was lonesome or because he was uh, in some kind of a need there was perfect unity and joy and love in the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit were together before time ever began they were eternal, as it were, and are eternal. That's why the writer of Hebrews would put it this way Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and what? Yeah. And today and huh? Yeah. And forever. You see, He is existent in all three dimensions of what we call time. But it pleased God, who is eternal, to invade the realm of time. To experience as a man the things that he could never experience as God. To experience as a man hunger. God can't hunger. Uh, Exhaustion. God isn't exhausted. He doesn't need sleep. He that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. Uh, He experienced thirst. You know, just think about this the one that created all the rivers, the one that created all the lakes and the waters of the earth, yet he says, Behold, I thirst. See, he experienced those things in his humanity that he could never experience in his deity. So he comes as a servant, even though he is the king of the universe, and the creator of all things. He's going to invade time in the, uh, in the uh, uh, attitude and the posture of a servant. He is my chosen. He's uh, my appropriate heir, as it were. That's what Luke, uh, I mean, uh, the apostle Peter called him in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He is my beloved. This election and divine love are inseparable. You know, He's the he, he's the one that uh, was loved of the Father before time began. I, I enjoy thinking about this in the regard to baptism and the importance of water baptism in in relationship to Christ. Because in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17, when Jesus came to be baptized of John the Baptist, now, if it wasn't something important... If baptism was just something incidental to God or His kingdom, Jesus Christ would have never done it. But Jesus came a long way to be baptized by uh, one that was authorized to baptize, John the Baptist. And when he was baptized, what happened? A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my heir. This is my representative. This is my ambassador in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I I, I love I love to think about that. I, I love to think about the connection between water baptism and the example of Jesus Christ. I'm rejoicing that Brother Matthew has come forward with this confession that he believes and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and wants to serve him in his kingdom. And the, the beginning of that journey is baptism. That's where we're taking the name and professing the name of Jesus Christ to the watching world. Very important. Jesus did that as the beloved Son. He says, My beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased, delights in, and I will put my Spirit upon him. Uh, We want to use this as the point. He was anointed. Remember the name Christ means anointed. Um, Jesus means Savior. So Jesus Christ is the Savior Anointed. He's anointed by the Father with the Holy Spirit. Here's the work of the Trinity. The work of the Trinity, not only in the miraculous ministry of Jesus Christ, but also in the work of redemption. Do you realize this morning that it takes a Trinity to save one sinner? It takes the Father in His love and in His kindness and in His electing power To choose a sinner. It takes the Son. By whose blood shed upon a Roman cross. Would wash away that sin. And it takes the Holy Spirit. That imparts to the heart faith. With which to embrace Christ. And follow after Him. Here's the work of the Trinity. In redemption. The redemption of the family of God. And it would never have happened had not the servant came to die for our sins. It would never have happened. It's important for us to understand this point. He says, I will put my spirit upon him. Uh, Turn your Bible quickly with me to Acts chapter 4. Very quickly, in Acts chapter 4, in the message of Peter, remember... The, Peter and John were, were proclaiming the name of Christ after the day of Pentecost and, and, and there was great, a great following had occurred. Many souls were being saved and rescued and, and many were being converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they got in a great deal of trouble uh, because, of that, uh, because of that ministry. But watch this, in, in Acts chapter 4, I want to notice uh, a particular expression. In Acts chapter 4, back up back up to verse 25, um, speaking about Christ. He says, Who by the mouth of thy servant David had said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and rulers gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Just like they are today. For of a truth... Here's the verse. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus... Whom thou hast anointed. His spirit was upon him. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel. Determined before to be done. (coughs) I want you to understand. The absolute character of God's ordaining decree jesus christ uh, was decreed to die upon the cross jesus christ was answering the decree of the father when he came as a servant humbling himself to death even the death of the cross isn't that amazing that's what Isaiah was talking about. That's, what, that's exactly who Jesus Christ is uh, referring to uh, in His own ministry. He says uh, He is the servant. He is the beloved. He is the one that well pleases the Father. And the anointing of the Father is upon Him. But notice, He's the one that's going to show judgment to the Gentiles. He's going to show uh, judgment in, in the sense or in the context of He's going to bring about the completion of the perfect will of the Father. He's going to manifest that will not only to the Jewish nation, but to the Gentiles, the elect among the Gentile nations, who are going to be brought by faith to Christ. They're going to be brought by the Holy Spirit to place their trust in Jesus Christ. That's that's a, a great marvel of sovereign grace. Brothers and sisters, if you're sitting here this morning and you have come by faith to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, you yourself are a product of the grace of God. You're a monument of the grace of God. And that grace of God would never have been given you had not Christ come as a servant. Do you see it? that's why you need to behold him behold this morning the servant that brings forth judgment unto victory he brings forth the uh, payment for the penalty of sin do you realize what happened on the cross and and we just we just have a glimpse of what jesus actually suffered on the cross you know we we talk about the the whip and we talk about the the, the the crown of thorns and you can just kind of you, you can kind of imagine the torture that Jesus Christ was going through on the cross. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, that was not the greatest thing that Jesus bore. That was that was not the greatest pain that Jesus endured. Because it was upon the cross that his father separated from him. Why? Because the sins of all the elect, of all the nations, of all periods of time, were poured out upon the Savior on the cross. That's what happened. And that's why he cried, Eli! Eli, my God, my God, lama sabachthani, why hast thou... Forsaken me. That word forsaken means abandoned. Abandoned me. But then, brothers and sisters, but then there was another shout from the cross. In the Greek language, it's die It's actually one word and it means paid in full, <laughs> it means completed, it means finished. It Is finished. And brothers and sisters, when that redemptive work was completed, Jesus then could bow his head and give up the ghost and say, Into thy hands, Father, I commend my spirit. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful, brothers and sisters, but that never would have happened had not Christ come as a servant. You see, that's why this is so critical for us to understand and to embrace. And we can actually uh, rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That He came into the world not to give a sinner a chance for heaven. Not to give a man an opportunity to be saved. But He came to save those that were given Him in covenant even before the world began. And brothers and sisters, He got what He paid for. Every one of them hallelujah this is the one the servant this is the beloved this is the one that pleases the father always the one who is anointed to bring about the answer the remedy of judgment against poor unworthy sinners and look at him for just a moment with me verse 19 he shall not Strive. That word strive there, epizo, is to quarrel, to hassle, to wrangle, or brawl. That's not Jesus. Jesus didn't come to lead a social reform parade. Jesus came in humility, He came in quietness. He's not going to strive. Neither are men going to hear His voice in the streets. He's, he's uh, not going to be a screamer. He's not, that's not His way. And He says, a bruised reed shall He not break. Now, you understand what a reed is, right? You, 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 you know, in this part of the country, you go to the ditch and you see cattails. Y'all see them? Well, a cattail is a reed. And, you know, you, you, you can take the cattail and throw it off, and you can take and break the reed, and you can look all the way through it. We used to get the reeds and practice uh, scuba diving. That's why one of my best friends nearly drowned. But, uh, but anyway, you know, you can close your mouth and plug your nose, and, and you can actually breathe through the reed. Now, we thought we were being Tarzan, and, uh, you know, and, and so forth. We know what a reed is. A reed, we- you don't want to build a house out of a reed. You, you don't want to build something structurally out of a reed because a reed's really weak. But isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ would not come to save the strong and mighty? He, he would not come to save those that were capable of saving themselves. Brothers and sisters, he, he came to the weakest. He came to the reed. And he says, a reed that's bruised, he's not going to break. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, maybe some of you young people can't really connect with this, but I know several of us can that have lived some time. There's a lot of things in this world that bruise us. There's a lot of things in this world that we even think might even destroy us, that crush us, that hurt us in so many ways. And there's nothing uh, there's nothing worse than a heartache when 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 you've been disappointed in someone, or someone has betrayed you, or uh, perhaps someone has uh, disappointed you. Uh, Whatever that might be in your own life and in your own human experience, it will leave you bruised. There's suffering, there's pain involved in this. But you look at the Savior. Behold the servant. The servant doesn't come to just break off that reed and throw it away. He comes to correct the breed, the weed, the, the, the weed, the reed. He comes to correct it and to strengthen it. That's what Jesus does, and I believe that's what the gospel is supposed to do. And uh, and I'm glad to be I'm glad to report to you that he does a, a good job of that. He does a a a, a, a good do, a, a good job of restoration of those that have fallen and those who have been bruised by sin. And he says another thing, a, smoke, a smoking flax shall he not quench. Now you, you might not understand what a, a smoking flax is. Brother Bobby could explain it to you real well. Um, because there was a time, in, even in this country, that if you had light in your house, it was because you had a lantern. And if you had a lantern, that meant you had oil. And if you had oil, the way that oil is transported to the light is through a wick. A flax. He says a smoking flax. Will He not quench? You know, it would be easy to do that. It would be easy to do that. It would be easy to just take your fingers and quench the wick or quench the candle or quench uh, the, the, the flax. But Jesus didn't do that. What He does is reignite it. Jesus is the one that restores again that which is useless to make it useful, to make it productive. In the hands of Jesus, the bruised reed is restored and a smoking uh, flax or, or wick is rekindled. This is what God does in behalf of His people. And brothers and sisters, this is the mighty work of grace in the life of the believer. So what do you do? You're sitting there this morning. You're saying, well, I'm a bruised reed. I mean, I'm bruised. I'm ready to break. I'm ready. I'm at the end of my my strength this morning. Behold the servant. Behold the Messiah. He's your solution. He's your remedy. He's your answer. Ah, oh, Brother Jeff, I've grown cold toward the truth. I've grown cold to the gospel. I've grown cold to the church. I've grown cold to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've grown cold to the reading of the scripture. I've grown cold in my prayer walk with God. I, I, I feel like I'm a smoking flax. Behold the servant. Behold him. He's the one that can rekindle that fire. He's the one that can restore what is broken, what is bruised. He's the one that can reach down to the deepest part of your pain and bring healing there. I believe that's what Matthew had in mind when he put this part of the story in the story of Christ, in the narrative of Christ. He wants us to know that. And as Gentiles, we should rejoice in that. We, we should rejoice in the fact That He's working His gracious compassion toward us. And I want to close with verse 21 here this morning. He says, And in His name shall the Gentiles trust. Shall you and I, as non-Jewish people, we have been graciously given the good news of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is your response this morning How do you respond to the gospel call today? Ah, bring your pain to Jesus. Bring your indifference or your coldness to Jesus this morning. Bring your burdens to Jesus. And behold the servant that came to save and secure you forever. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you.